need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself and my partner in crime, Eric. Hey, how's it going? It's going. We review all of Steven Spielberg's movies in the order they were released. My friend, we are not alone this week. Sweet. Guess are fun. We are joined by my friend, LaKendra. She's also known as Queen Mother. She is from her podcast, uh, I Just Want to Talk. She... Uh, has she's an entrepreneur she has also been on this very podcast feed back when i was reviewing alfred hitchcock films and mostly uh she came on because they were racist and i needed someone to help me wade through the the waters of that so welcome (laughs) back on much i think better terms uh thanks jeffrey you were talking about waiting in my um Side note, so Southern Baptist and my great-grandmother and the choir used to sing the song, Wade in the Water. It's an old I know, Wade in the Negro water. hymnum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say, I, well, I want to ask you, and it'll be pretty apparent why you're here. What's your favorite movie of all time? My favorite movie of all time is The Color Purple. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Hands yeah. down. So... That's why she's here. I, it's great to have a perspective of someone who just absolutely adores a film. I think for me, like, I talked about Psycho on the last one. Eric's a big Jaws guy. And um, having you here for this has been just perfect. Because usually I'm like, come on, do this uh, a, a Hitchcock movie. Well, I'm not going to watch it. I don't blame you. But this one you are very familiar with, and um, I I think this is the first time I've actually sat down and watched The Color Purple. It is amazing I mean, to me how many of these movies you have never like seen all the way through just before. Shut up, like, it just it continuously <laughs> blows my mind from week to week. Well, The Color Purple isn't necessarily like the easiest movie to get through, and it's pretty long. So you, you have to be really dedicated and intentional to, to watch it. So... Lakendra, we usually start these shows off by kind of like explaining our own personal history with the movie, you know, like when we mm-hmm. first saw it and how many times we've seen it and, you know, how our opinions of it have changed over the years or whatever. Would you mind like starting us off and letting us know like what, what your relationship with this movie has been? You obviously love it. I do love it. So great question, Eric. And I don't, so yeah, I started watching this movie when I was like eight years old, like I'm not even exaggerating. So this is back in the day when, you know, it was VHS. And for whatever reason, my maternal grandmother thought it was a good idea to sit me down in front of the television and put on the color purple. Um, And I don't think that she realized what she was doing. But I literally I I watched that movie like almost every day for a week (laughs) when I first watched it. And um, and so I've, I've seen it countless times. I can't even tell you how many times. Anytime it comes on television, I watch it. Um, if I'm bored at the house, I'm like, let's watch the color purple. Um, me and uh, a good associate of mine and Jeff Tabitha, uh, she is 
equally um, uh, in love with the movie as well. So we just sit around, we just quote the movie from time to time. We'll just have a whole conversation and it's nothing but the Color Purple movie quotes. So it, it's definitely um, a movie that is ingrained in me from, and I don't think I should have been an eight-year-old watching the Color Purple. Let me just say that. I just think yeah. that, you know, eight-year-olds should not be watching the Color Purple. Don't try to say opening alone is like, mm, <laughs> it's pretty heavy. It is very heavy. Well, I remember you had a small dog that I remember running around the office at some point named Suge. And I'm like, why has LaKendra named her cat after Suge Knight? Um, but apparently, <laughs> I'm guessing now that your your pet was named after this character. Okay. for let, Let's correct it. So I had a plant. Oh, was it office. a plant? What was, it, what was <laughs> that little dog that was... No, that was Rondo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. But I did have that's okay. It made for okay. <laughs> it made for a great story though, Jeff. So I did have um, this beautiful and it was huge um, plant uh, that I kept at the office and I named it Sugar Avery. And why I named it Sugar Avery, I, I don't know. I have two of those same types of plants at the house at my house now. There, I don't call them Sugar or Avery, but now I probably will because they do need names. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, but it was just a, such a big and beautiful plant. I think that you know. Um, my infatuation with the color purple and shook Avery to me is just the the beautiful diva within the within the movie. And I don't want to get ahead of you guys uh, summarizing it, but sh- that's what that plant reminded me of. It's just big and beautiful and diva ish, and continue to grow and get larger, much like that character's personality. That's a great point. I think Eric, I, I guess because I'm ready to get into the movie, but I need yeah, to yeah. slow down. What about you, <laughs> Eric? Take a step back. You, yeah, we were going into this week. He's like, oh, yes, the color purple, which is basically what Eric does at the end of every episode. Next, we're watching this. Oh, yeah. woo! <laughs> okay, so I, I also am a huge fan of this movie. I, I absolutely love it. So I was, uh, I don't know, like maybe 13 or 14, and I think I first rented it from 7-Eleven. Like, they used to rent movies out of the 7-Eleven down the street from my house. That's and, how old we are, folks. Yeah, right? <laughs> so so I got the VHS, and it was... Uh, the, the first thing that struck me about it was it was the first film that I had ever seen on home video that was letterboxed. Like, they, they standardized... Like, it wasn't released on home video, not in a widescreen format. And so that was, like really striking to me because you know I, I, apparently Spielberg loved that widescreen aspect so much that he had to put it out but uh I I think I'm kind of like the Kendra I probably watched it like I kept it out for at least a week and then I started pulling it out of the library and then I rented it more and then eventually I think somebody like taped it off of HBO for me or something and I had my own copy um but the, yeah, this is one of those movies that I also have uh, pretty much memorized, you know. And I probably before last night, I probably haven't watched it for at least ten years, maybe mm-hmm. maybe even longer. I think my my older kids were pretty little when I watched it last, and as soon like as soon as we started watching it, I was like the thought hit me like what have i been doing like why why am i not why have i not been watching the color purple more often because it is it is one of those movies and i think i kind of just forgot how ingrained in me this this movie really is you know um but yeah i i am also a huge fan of the movie what about you jeff you you clearly i thought i'd see it before 
But what I think is I've seen scenes from it. Like I've mm. seen the scene where Oprah confronts um, Celia in the like the the tall plants. I don't know. It's like in the fields. In the corn. About you told Harpo to be me. It was it was the, you told yeah. Harpo to be me. Scene. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think that's about all I had seen. Oh my uh, god. So let's listen. I'm filling in the gaps of cinema in my brain here. That's <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> Judgmental. No, no, it's no judgment. I mean, like, you know, like either you see it or you don't. Like either you, you came across it in some way or somebody introduced it to you or they didn't. You know, it's no it's no fault on you. No judgment. I don't look mm-hmm. down upon you for not being cultured, you know, like. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, indeed, we did watch The Color Purple. It came out in 1982. Five. I don't have it right in front of me. 1985. 1985. That's one reason I probably didn't watch that much. It's almost as old as I am. Yeah, it is, you know, like, having not watched it for a long time and having just seen Whoopi Goldberg, uh, she was just on an episode of Star Trek recently, and I hadn't seen her oh, she for a reprised while. her role she did she did yeah awesome and i hadn't seen her for a while and so like that was the image of her that i had in my mind and then seeing her in this i was like oh my god she's like 12 years old in this movie you know like <laughs> she looks so young and uh danny glover too you know they age him it's interesting the way they kind of age people throughout the movie because i feel mm-hmm. like 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 Celie and suge not so great, right? Like they they didn't necessarily capture the way that they actually aged in real life. I think Danny Glover, like they really did a good job on him. Like the way his hairline goes back throughout the movie and so on. That that uh, it felt a little more like the way Danny Glover really aged. Uh, Oprah too, a little bit more. Sophia, um, but I think Eric, you have to realize too the way they aged Danny Glover was also reflective of the life that he lived. Yes. And and that was with all the characters. Like they aged for sure, mm-hmm. but when you look at um the character of Albert or or Mr, he didn't age well in that movie. Okay, and Black don't crack. That's real life, okay? He cracked because of the way he treated people and that was very reflective in the way they aged him as his character got older. That's an interesting observation. I hadn't considered that, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um but yeah, so like seeing seeing all these these performers like being so young uh, I don't know. It was just kind of fun. Yeah. I was telling Kendra we met up for coffee the other day, and I was like, yeah, I started watching it. I'm like, hey, Danny Glover. Oh, Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> like, because, you know, I'm from the, the you know, Predator 2 lethal weapon thing. You know, Danny Glover's always the good guy. Not here. So it does star Danny Glover, Whoopi Goldberg. Oprah Winfrey, Margaret Avery as Suge Avery. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, hey, we got Suge. What's her last name? Avery. Avery. <laughs> yeah, I was reading that they they were strongly trying to get Diana Ross for the Suge role, and then that didn't mm-hmm. work out. And then they went after Shaka Khan, and then that didn't work out. And and then they uh, settled on Margaret Avery. And I'm I don't think I'm familiar with her outside of this. Like. I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else. I know a lot of these folks, like Danny Glover at the time, wasn't a really well-known uh, entity outside of Broadway. Like he was a he was a stage actor, and then this kind of 
uh, I think he was in Places of the Heart first and then this, and then like he kind of transitioned into film more. But I don't know like before or after if I've seen Suge in anything at all. She did a lot of like, um, she stayed in the black cinema scene. Okay. Um, with a lot of, there, there's a term for, for that type of black cinema back in the day. I can't think of it right off the top of my head. Black um, but what's that? Was it black exploitation? Yeah. yeah. That. So she did a lot of those types of films, nothing. And I think she did some TV, but nothing like, nothing like the color purple, in my opinion, that I've ever seen her in again. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the movie benefited from us not getting others. Cause I think, She's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it feels like a star-making role to me. Like, like she's so effective in this movie, and and her character arc is uh, one of. I mean, like, every every character in this movie has an arc. You know, Which like is ev- everybody, crazy. everybody goes through it. Everybody has you know trials and tribulations and redemptions and and uh, you know s- stories of survival and so on and so forth. But Shug's Shug's arc, I think, is one of the best in the movie and and she's she's just so fantastic in the film i'm surprised that it didn't just like skyrocket her you know yeah i i think it's in the sense of like every character has an arc within the main you know four or five people right they all have their growth and you know they're not the same person they were at the beginning of the movie that they were at the end um you know, is kind of an incredible piece of writing just to be able to develop them all in that way where love them or hate them, all of those main characters feel real mm-hmm. um, because of their growth and their changes. And I don't know that we can understate or overstate how good Whoopi is in this movie. <laughs> like, because again, me, Danny Glover, Lee the Weapon, Whoopi, Sister Act, Star Trek. If for me, and then like coming in and being like, "Oh man, she's so good in this." She um, is. So, Jeff, and then there's Oprah, who won an Oscar, uh, right? No, nobody no. won an Oscar. Nobody, what? nobody won an Oscar for this movie. There were eleven nominations, n- not a single Oscar for this movie, which is just some of that bullshit. Like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, but no, okay. I want to talk about Oprah and how I feel like she made the wrong career path and should have kept acting. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think she's doing okay. Right. <laughs> she, she's straight, Eric. She's no, right. no, no. I know she's good. Like I know, I know, I know things I mean, turned out like, okay for her. I would have, I would have loved like to see, uh, you know, like I don't. She again. I mean, Oprah another person does act. She does, but I, not. I don't like Oprah as an actress, though. Quite honestly, like she's. I will tell you this, the color purple and the women of Brewster street. I don't know if y'all have seen the women of Brewster street, but she is fantastic in the women of Brewster street. Um, but like more recent and modern stuff, like I didn't like her so much in beloved, quite honestly, that might be like unpopular opinion, but I didn't like her in many of the other roles that she did. So I, I appreciate her being, you know, a billionaire talk show host, bookseller magazine, you know, you know, this, what does she, she, she doesn't do, you know, like, <laughs> right, I mean, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see that, but, like, I for me, like, my own personal experience with Oprah, like, I never watched the show because I was always at work, you know? I, like, would occasionally read the magazine in my mother-in-law's bathroom, you know? Like, <laughs> like, 
I feel like the only way I'm going to get to Oprah is if she's in movies. And, you know, like after this, like she stopped for a while, you know, like she she didn't do any movies again for like 10 years, maybe even longer because she was doing her other stuff. So that's that's all I was trying to say. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I got you. I understand that she's kind of like the musical artist who just drops an album when they want, you know, and right. it's like always amazing. And then they're just like they disappear for a while and everybody's like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's what so. Rihanna does. So, Jeff, uh, I'm, I'm curious, as a first-time viewer, as the first mm-hmm. time, like, number one, did you watch this in one sitting? Number two, like, how did it work for you? Like, like, did it work for you? Were there any parts that, like, were a little shaky or, or you know, like, yeah. how did, how did... Uh... So, I watched, like, the first 30 minutes, and then I got... Life's been crazy busy for me lately, so even watching an hour-and-a-half movie in one sitting... It's sort of tough. Uh, this is two and a half hours, but I watched the first half hour. I had coffee with Lakendra, so I got to talk a little bit about what I'd seen. And then yesterday, I finished the rest of it. Did it work for me? This is the best movie we've watched on the Spielberg side of things. Just, it, I, the movie's funny. I don't, there's times where I'm like, is this, should I be laughing at this? I don't know. Like, because when, uh, Oprah hits Harpo when she when he hits her she hits him back you know and then Harpo's talking to Danny Glover like no no I fell down this black guy you know <laughs> rolling and then there's another scene I'm gonna get to the comedy side of it because that's my thing where Danny Glover's trying to cook and this dude doesn't know how to cook and he doesn't know how to preheat an oven and it doesn't get hot enough fast for him so he goes and gets kerosene and then, that, like, you see her in the chair. He walks yep. by with a kerosene. It cuts back. The chair's empty and rocking. Oh, so funny. <laughs> but then, at the end of the movie, I'm like, hmm? <laughs> I'm, it gets me. It, like, I, it got to me. I'm like, when she gets reunited with her kids, and they're like, Mama! I'm like, oh, wow, wow, I... <laughs> just, what was that now, Jeff? I want my mama. I always want my mama. You know <laughs> I want that. my mama. <laughs> but just like all the characters, and and I'm sitting here thinking about it afterwards. Like we'll get into the redemption arc of Danny Glover's character, and feeling like how do I feel about that? You know, because he's been terrible the whole movie. Um, you know, but just so much to think about. I, I, I you always prepare questions, and I'm sure this movie gave you plenty. Uh, because, but yes, absolutely. I think this is a masterpiece of film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it wasn't as dark as I had thought it was going to be. Like, I mean, it is like it deals with domestic abuse and incest and all kinds of really, really dark stuff, but it's done with a deft touch that focuses on the characters Mm -hmm. and less on the pain of it and more on how the characters pushing through and their bravery and their strength um, that kind of makes it so much more hopeful of a film. Mm-hmm. You should read the book, Jeff. I will. Yeah. The book by Alice Walker, which this movie was um, inspired by is, it's, it's kind of different. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I'll be honest. I've never read the book all the way through because it's so different from the movie. So, of course, I watched the movie first. Right. And I'm like, 
this ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote this book wrong. <laughs> but it, but it, it is different. I think it's, um, but I, I would encourage everyone, and I, I am going to read the book too. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to start from the beginning and finish it. But I do think that it's worth reading the book at least once all the way through and then doing a compare and contrast. Yeah, yeah I read the book, uh, I think I read it in college. So I read the book like 30 years ago. Um, and, and there were some things that were obviously pretty strikingly different in the book. Um, like, like Spielberg really, uh, really toned down like the gay overtones mm-hmm. that are really prevalent in the book. Like, I have questions about that. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, when we get to that plot point, cause I was kind of like, I didn't know, like, how is this? We'll get to it. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to talk about it. Well, Go yeah, and, 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 I mean, the book has a, has, it's a somewhat darker tone, you know, like, like you know how throughout the movie, you know, Seeley, uh is kind of narrating what's going on with these letters to God, you know, mm-hmm. dear God, dear mm-hmm. God. Uh, and the book is primarily uh, told via those letters because Seeley doesn't have anybody else to turn to. So she's, she's writing these letters to God because... Uh, well, I mean, her dad, her dad tells her at the beginning, you better tell God and nobody else, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's, that's how the book is kind of structured. And then eventually Nettie's letters to her kind of come into play, like in maybe the last third of the book or whatever. Um, but it definitely has a much, uh, darker tone. Like, I feel like Spielberg I mean, obviously, he really pulled this off, you know, like like it's a great movie. Uh, but I think it is his natural inclination to put this kind of filter of nostalgia over the top of the story, no matter what the, the story is, at least at this point in his career. And so I think that this film is kind of... It's a like a soft lens take on this story. You know what I mean? Like he definitely softened the edges of this story to put it out for more of a like a mass audience appeal mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, it's kind of seen through like this haze of nostalgia and these kind of like golden tones of sun, you know, like the way the the uh, Georgia in the 1930s is portrayed uh, even though like all this horrible stuff is happening, like the setting is often very beautiful, you know, and even when the house is falling apart, it's beautifully filmed, you know, it's beautifully yeah, framed and so point. on. Um, so like, I think that does kind of put it at a distance. Like there's a different way to film this story and that's like close-ups, washed out color, shaky cam during the violence, you know, like there you could tell the same story in a very different way. And and so I feel like uh, just speaking to the difference between the book and the film, I do feel like the film is glossy, you know, like it's a little, glossy. Glossy. I like that. <laughs> I prefer this more hope filled version though. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not, it's not, it's not even really a critique, you know, like, yeah. cause, because I do like deeply love the movie. Um, but it is it is definitely a different take, you know, on mm-hmm. the story. So. All right. Well, let's talk about the plot. And it doesn't waste time 
getting horrible as fast as possible. But <laughs> right. we're, we're introduced to Nettie and Celia. And they Celie. are sisters. Celie. God, Celie. Celie. If you Celie. say Celia the whole time, I'm going to rip my eyeballs out. Celie. <laughs> Don't challenge me. <laughs> Don't challenge me. <laughs> um, Celie and her sister Nettie are running through the fields and they their father comes and gets them. And our introduction to this man is, Celie, you got the ugliest smile in the world. And this moment plays through a lot of the film with her inability to smile. And I'm like, that is so true. Like the things that parents can say will just stick, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll change you forever. Even if it's un- like this was very much an intended dart of, you know, hatred. Um, but uh, Celie is extremely pregnant and gives birth to, is this the daughter is born in this one? Yeah. Yes. That she had already given birth to her son. And you find out that the father is her dad. And her sister is her midwife, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. He's got her out there in like, I don't know, like the chicken coop or something, you know, yeah. like having a baby. Hut out back. And, and she's in there, you know, screaming without obviously any medical help except for her sister and his reaction is, aren't you done yet? You know, yep. like, like, <laughs> it's, it's like beyond uh, cruelty, it, it, just this callous, uncaring. Um, and then he immediately, as soon as the baby is born, he immediately scoops the baby right out of her arms and it disappears with the baby and then never tells her what happens, what, what yeah. he's done with the baby. So she doesn't know. I mean, for at least the first chunk of the film she suspects she she might know but she doesn't necessarily know know whether he killed the baby did he go throw the baby in the river like did he sell the baby you know like she she has no idea um so she's immediately at the beginning of the film inflicted with this giant trauma you know that she carries with her throughout the the entirety of the story and and then to know that this was her second time you know, yeah. going through that, like like Jeff said, this is the, the second child she had given birth to when we're introduced to to this scene. So, you know, just putting yourself in the shoes of this young girl, um, she was a teenager, you know, giving birth to her second child from the person that she knows as her father and having to give that baby away. Um, it's just heartbreaking. And, and it's, it's, <laughs> if you start out the movie and that's, a, you know, your first introduction to the color purple, I can see you turning the movie off and walking away. I mean... I understand. That's, yep. a, that's really a hard scene to, to walk into. Well, uh, but the bright spot in her life is Nettie, her sister. Now, are they mm-hmm. biological sisters or we just. They are from what sisters? I've always known. They are. They at least have the same mother. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. So they're as close as can be best friends. They're sort of bound together in this dark mm-hmm. place both of, neither of them have it going particularly well for them but i get the feeling that Nettie is sort of protected from the same abuse that um celie is dealing with at least until celie leaves mm-hmm. um, she's definitely the favorite child i i yeah i i've i've known people that had this dynamic in real life you know like where there's an abusive parent and 
one child catches like 90% of the abuse and the other kid is, you know, favored flagrantly. And uh, it, it, it's not not the fault of either of the children. It's something, you know, going on with the parents. But yeah, that's that I think definitely what's happening here. I think I think uh, Nettie is for sure, you know, favored and taken care of, and and Seeley is you know the one doing the childbearing and the cleaning and everything else. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a precursor to what's going to happen in her relationship with Danny Glover because yeah, she's right. the one cooking and cleaning, and Suge is the beloved because. Suge doesn't get abused. Nettie. Uh, no, no. Oh, Suge, Suge, Suge. Okay, yeah. yeah no, I see where you're going. My bad, my bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. That when Suge comes into the picture, like, mm-hmm. talks about how she's not scared of him. She's not abused. Like, it, he, she, he actually loves Suge. Um, yeah. But that's interesting. I had never considered that, that kind of parallel between... Celie and Nettie and their dad and Celie and Suge. But I don't think their dad mm-hmm. loves Nettie. And Albert. Yeah, maybe maybe not, but no. there's definitely, you know, that dynamic where, where Celie's the put up, like, I don't want to say put upon, because that, but she's, she's you know, the abused one, and, and then there's this other person there who is, you know, more or less a peer who's not at all receiving mm-hmm. the same treatment that she is. And then there's like Nettie was protected because she was the prettier one. Yeah. And that's the same with with Suge. Suge is, you know, perceived to be the the prettier one, um, talented, smart, and she and Nellie, Nettie have those same type of parallels as well as it relates to um Paul <laughs> and and Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Mr., we're introduced to Danny Glover's character who has come calling to uh, ask for Nettie's hand, or I don't even know that he actually, does he actually marry anyone in this movie? Because he marries Seely, right? Like There's a point at the end where she says, I never even ask you for your hand in marriage. Now, that could be two things, right? That could be, you. it was forced upon me, I never asked you for it, or we never got married. I've just been your property. I mean, she wears a wedding band, but... Like interesting, like in the movie, Jeff, there there was no actual wedding of the two of them. It was really just like, you know, she was given to him as a sacrifice, like a horse or something. Um, so she, so he couldn't take Nettie because Paul was very insistent. Like, you can't have Nettie, not now, not never. But Celia, you can have because she's the oldest one and she should marry first anyway because she's older. So, but we never really truly see um, them get married. But and to your point. He, she, they both wear uh, wedding rings to signify that you know they they are married, but um, but she didn't ask for it. Yeah, she was forced into it. I was just kind of curious about that. Be, I wouldn't have questioned it if it weren't for her saying that near the end. But mm-hmm. again, it could still mean that they were married and she, it was forced upon her. Um, but I also wonder if maybe Albert's saving himself for Suge. Like, should the opportunity come up legally, if I don't marry her? of Mary Seeley. Yeah, I don't think legalities were like, <laughs> no one worried about legalities in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, he does get Seeley, uh, 
and it pretty much goes bad right away. Right um, out of the I, gate, I, she shows up yeah, in his right house, and one of, one of the kids like throws a rock at her head, and and you know just wallops her with this rock. And yeah, she's, she's your new yeah. mama, and then they just go, and then they show a very uncomfortable sex scene where she is just laying there, um, and he's just getting his job done, and then he's done. You know, there's no mm-hmm. kindness or love or anything. She is very much a piece of property to him. And much again, like the story of her life, she walks into the situation where there's, I don't even know how many kids were in that scene, but it was just like a whole bunch of kids. There's <laughs> always a whole from? bunch of kids. <laughs> there's always like There are! Like, where are these children coming from? Running around. Like, my, my <laughs> wife, uh, she hasn't seen the film as much as I did. She watched it with me, and she was like, who's who are all these kids? And I was like, I think they're just like the community kids. Like, I think, I think Albert has like three or four kids, and I think all the kids just kind of like run around all the time because there's always like kids there's always kids in every scene like and like the kid who tells harpo that it's gonna rain on his head who is that yeah. kid like <laughs> whose kid is that he's just, gonna rain on your head that's one of the like most popular lines out that movie <laughs> uh he's just there right like there's always you know random kids like like the only the only like we know that harpo is albert's kid right we know that mm-hmm. Sophia and Harpo have three kids together. And I think that's the only defined. Oh, and, and, and Celie has two kids. Uh, but then there's all these other kids who are always just kind of coming in and Around. out. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, it, I, I think Danny Glover at least has three because there's the scene where she's combing their hair. Right. And that poor kid. For real, got her hair pulled when she's brushing the hair. And after they have their fight and he hits her for not doing what she says, she just pulls it back and is just pretty sure that kid had his her hair pulled for real. Yeah, that uh, I don't know. I have kids and the hair combing, even if you yeah. haven't combed their hair for like two days, is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Clover says that they haven't combed her hair since her mom died. That their mom died. It's like, yeah. oh man. And, and I think Sealy says the that the she sentiment should shave of it. shaving it off. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, you know, it'd be easier. It's not my head. So so then what happens is uh Nettie shows up. Like, like Celia mm-hmm. is there with Mr. and the kids and Nettie shows up and she's just like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep pa, dad, whatever off of me, you know? And so can I stay with you for a while? And they ask, uh, Albert and, and like immediately creeper, like he gets this glint in his eyes and he's like, oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like he sees this as his chance because Nettie's the one he wanted to begin with. And, uh, so so Nettie stays there for a while, and during that time, she attends school. Seeley's not allowed to go to school, so Nettie takes everything that she learns in school and brings it home and teaches Seeley, and that's how Seeley uh, learns to read, and it's kind of her only exposure to the outside world because she's kept in this house, you know, cooking and cleaning, taking care of these kids like a prisoner, um, right. but she still has this spark of joy in her life because she has Nettie uh, mm-hmm. to kind of teach her and and spend time with and you know love her because she says several times in the movie Nettie's the only person in the world that loves me um but then of course things take a turn because Albert you know 
one day can't decides keep his hands to himself. it's time to make his move and he does this whole and thing with the horse and the hat weird. and the flowers and <laughs> well before we even get to that eric i want to point out that um before nettie showed up um Celie thought she saw her daughter oh, in in right. the store yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think that um and i and i want to come back to that because i feel like that that was an important part of her life and then nettie comes because there's these two glimmers of hope right mm-hmm. like i think I, I saw my baby and i think i know who she belongs to and i think i know where she is and now i have my my sister back with me so it's just like those two two things that happen almost back to back were like some of the the positive notes um for Seely in in the beginning stages of the movie and then and then you know here comes mr on his horse <laughs> yeah here he comes and uh, the, she she fights back she's she's not having it mm-hmm. you know and she whacks him with her books uh because she's on her way to school and he drags her off into the bushes and, and she fights so back gets me on these scenes and not just this one but the any of the like sexual assault scenes the men always start off like this is going to be good for both of us like they're both on board with it he just assumes she's ready like he's being very playful mm-hmm. like with the horse beside her and she is scared out of her mind pretty much right away but he's just like hey hey, hey isn't this great and like at no point does he think uh, that she's not wanting this like she's clearly terrified she's right and it doesn't even mm -hmm. register to him that well he's got all the power in the scene like he's right he's got all the power and so for him until he gets hit it's just a game like it her reaction doesn't matter to him you know like for him it's just a game he's gonna get what he wants and so he's in a good mood and he's gonna be jovial about it and then uh she's not having it and then it takes a big turn and it leads to one of the most wrenching scenes in the movie Mm. Uh, i mean like we often talk about in our our podcast about how people must have got hurt filming scenes in these spielberg movies like low-key that probably hurt filming that scene like like (laughs) he's dragging Nettie away from Seely and both of them are fighting him with everything that they've got and he's dragging mm-hmm. them down the stairs and like yeah. like like they try to grab onto the pole and he's like punching their hands yeah I'm hands. sure there were like splinters galore when they got to <laughs> film sure. that scene like bruises, for sure like rib bruises and like yeah but I mean bottom line he he does separate them and he throws uh, Nettie off of his property and that's when she tells him uh, nothing but death will keep me away mm-hmm. give me from him mm-hmm. yeah um, and she promises to write and that that's another pivotal moment in the movie as well because um she said i i, I promise I'll, I'll write you nothing but death can keep me from and then they start singing that song me and you us never part um which is another popular uh scene from from the from this movie but her promising to write was Nettie. um or I'm sorry, was Seely holding on to more hope. So now we see, you know, Seely has seen who she thinks is her baby. She's had her sister um, reunited with her. Then her sister gets ripped away, but she has this glimmer of hope that, oh, well, she promised me that, that she'll write to me. And so she's looking forward to these letters coming from her sister whenever she gets to, you know, wherever, wherever she is. So poor Seely. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's just one thing after another for her. And then Dumpus... I mean, Mister, he like says, "Don't check the mail. Don't you go near that mailbox," and it's just another form of control. Yep. Um, where he's keeping 
any correspondence that she might receive away from her. Yeah, which it, turns out to be the ultimate sin in her eyes. But we'll get to that. Um, so I think at this point, then that's the when we get the time shift, right? Like it, it kind of pops forward, and that's when the the young woman who's playing Seely shifts and and Whoopi yeah, turns into Whoopi. Yeah, it turns into Whoopi. Um, and and then very soon after that, I think we get the introduction of Sophia. Uh, Harpo Harpo is a grown man at this Sophia. point, but he's still very much under his dad's thumb. And uh, but he meets Sophia, and they're going to get married. And so that's when we get this this fantastic introduction to Sophia uh, coming up the road <laughs> to meet to meet <laughs> Albert. And She's just on her way. I love this character. She is. Hands down, my favorite character in the whole movie is Sophia. Hands down. She's so good. Right Just out the... of the gate, she takes no shit. Like, like from anyone. <laughs> because it's, it's like, awesome. you know what that scene reminds me of? You remember, like, Tom and Jerry, and I feel like, you know, Harpo's like the little mouse just running oh, around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing today? <laughs> and so, and, and this, she's uh, the contrast from Celie, who is very much like, yes, mister. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Just trying to survive by being quiet and reserved and Sophia is I know who I am I'm bold and strong and nobody's going to tell me what to do and to the so much so that uh Danny Glover's character just doesn't like her like immediate she's too strong don't get married to her you can't mm-hmm. like she's just too much woman um for you to to deal with but it's messed up is like had this had they just gone there got dad's blessing gotten married i think harpo and sophia would had a great life together you know because it never crosses his mind to lay a finger on her until her dad until his dad says so yeah i think so i mean that it brings up like one of the major themes of the movie which i think is like the way abuse passes down through generations you know uh old mister shows up eventually in the film and uh he is clearly not a pleasant man and you get the idea that he is the one uh like albert young mister is still very much under his thumb you know like Mm, like he mm. he's really you know when when old mister shows up then all of a sudden the tables are turned and mm-hmm. and albert is you know like taking you know he's like a little kid around his dad yeah. all of a sudden you know like like 30 years drops off this man and he's just a little kid being you know dressed down by his father and then the same dynamic happens with harpo i mean uh, up until a point in the movie when harpo kind of comes on into his own but for like the first half of the movie you know, Harpo's a grown man, but his dad is just running him ragged, saddle my horse, do the thing, and, you know, laughing mm-hmm. at him and throwing the hay on him and, you know, just generally. And so I think Harpo, you know, this is what he's always seen out of his father was this abuse of women. I don't I don't think that he necessarily has that same character. Like, like I don't think at least the way he's portrayed in the movie, he doesn't have that streak of meanness and cruelty that his dad does. But I think that when his dad and then Celie, you know, says, says beat Sophia to bring her in line, 
I think like that kind of clicks in his head like, oh, yeah, well, that is the way it's done. Right. And that's you know, it doesn't take a lot to push him over that line because that's what he's always seen in his life, you know. Um, so but I also think too, Eric, that was, that was the thing that because um, I think Harpo has a desire to make his dad proud and to please his father. Yeah. Right. So when 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 Albert and Celie were like beta and he goes and he does it. It was like okay, Dad said do this. So I'm. It's, I don't think it was even in him to to still do. That wasn't what he really wanted to do. Yeah. But because that's what Daddy said do. This is what I'm going to do. And I, I mean, I guess he beat her. But like, <laughs> Sophia he got clearly one had shot upper off hand, <laughs> and it surprised her. And then after that. And, and then we get to that cornfield scene that Jeff spoke to earlier. And again, that's probably one of my favorite scenes. I have a lot of favorite scenes, but that was like such a, a good scene where she's just whipping these corn stalks. Yeah, she's going through. Go and get... I'm like, how did she even know Seeley was at that? If you've ever been th- to a cornfield, there it's like impossible to find someone almost. But she went to the exact spot where Seeley was and breaks through that corn. It's like, you told Hoppo to beat me. And oh my God. <laughs> if you were Seeley in that situation, that would be scary as hell. I would be terrified. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Terrified. Sophia I think does not play. It speaks a lot to Sophia's character that, you know, like, Sophia is violent when violence is done towards her, but that's not mm-hmm. the way that she handles confrontation, you know, that, that she's starting. And so she very much, you know, dresses Seely down and, and explains exactly where she's coming from and why she is the way she is, uh, which I think, God, can you imagine how it would have felt to be on the receiving end of that? <laughs> and, and, and like just how you would feel uh knowing that you know i don't know Celie must have felt like shit is basically what i'm getting to you I know also think like that there's got to be like she's seeing someone stand up yeah right um she's used to not seeing that to the to stand up to a man it's very much in her life so far what the guy says goes. If that doesn't work, you get beat. And I think even when Seely's saying beat her, I think Seely's even stuck in that mind frame of... She doesn't know another way. That's the way it works. I mean, we mm-hmm. just... You beat us and then we fall in line. And and for her, it's almost like... I think to a point, like the first seeds of where she ends up feeling strong and being able to stand up for herself is like, oh, that's an option. And and then too, I'm just you know sticking with the relationship between uh, Celie and Sophia. It, it turns out to be a very interesting dynamic, does it not? Like as we go through the movie with with those two, and you know the journey of their lives, and how the almost the tables turn a little bit at at some point, and you know the person who was you know the 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 dominant one then becomes the meek one, mm-hmm. um, and and. I don't want to get too far ahead in the conversation, but I just, <laughs> it was just interesting to know. Yeah. I, you yeah, know, I it, think, yeah, it, it's okay. I think if we get a little out of sync as far as the timeline of the movie goes, um, but yeah, an- that's another thing. Yeah, I often say in these, in these conversations, like I experienced these movies for the first time when I was very young. And so I let the story just like kind of wash over me. And, and then if I've seen it a whole bunch of times after that, then I just kind of re-experienced that first viewing. And so I don't necessarily, 
uh, pull themes out of these films the way that I would if I had seen them for the first time as an adult. Mm-hmm. So that turning of the tables, you know, like I, I've recognized it in terms of the story, but like just actually saying it outright like that, I hadn't, it hadn't clicked in my head yeah. quite that that's really what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I digress. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Shiny. <laughs> so uh, I think we're at the part even where this is where Sophia gets in a little bit of well, we're trouble. S- we're skipping out on the Shug, the Shug storyline, which is kind of oh, yeah, 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 here yeah. too. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we can keep it kind of quick. But essentially, so Shug Avery is this singer. She's like a touring singer and kind of... I don't know, famous, regionally famous, you know, mm-hmm. like pe- people definitely know who she is. And she had had a, uh, an ongoing relationship with Albert, Mr. Um, and he references her several times before she shows up in the movie. He gets real excited when she's going to come around because this is the woman that he really loves. Like she's like the one that got away or whatever. Mm-hmm. And for the one that got away, she kind of keeps coming back. But yeah, their uh, relationship's really interesting. <laughs> So one night she he shows up with her and she's drunk and sick and clearly just like strung out in one way or the other. It's never quite mm-hmm. made clear, but other than the fact that she's been doing some hard living and she's in kind of bad shape. And so mm-hmm. he brings her to the house and uh, and this dynamic begins where, you know, he he makes an attempt to try to take care of her, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Like he's <laughs> incapable of doing anything really. And so Celie becomes her caretaker and, mm-hmm. and cooks for her and helps her bathe and gets her cleaned up and helps her recover uh, while she's not well. And although Suge's initial reaction to Celie was to like put her down, um, eventually over time, uh, like a friendship begins mm-hmm. between the two women. Yeah, like the first words that Shook said to Celia was, You surely is ugly. Yeah. And then like literally <laughs> when Mr. brought her to the door that rainy night, and then to see Celie basically the humane part of her is like, I can't let this woman sit here and not get well. I have to take care of her. And I think that's another just strand of the DNA that we see in this character is no matter how she's treated, there's always this thing in her that has to take care mm-hmm. of of somebody else. And I think that's what we see it here, Eric, that you're describing when she, you know, after after Mr. You know, gets the kerosene and burns the biscuits, you know, here comes. Ce- and let me just say that that breakfast that Celie made looked absolutely delicious. <laughs> yes, okay, absolutely. I would eat that any day of the week for sure. And huge, a huge breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> huge breakfast. I'd be like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> bring it to me. Yeah, she. And that's the the scene that right before this is when Danny Glover just destroys a meal. Like you said, he gets the kerosene, and like the one of the the things on the plate is still very much on fire when he on brings fire. it upstairs, <laughs> which is awesome. I, I don't know what he's doing. He, look, and he's like excited. I look what I made for you. It's a little black. <laughs> it's a little burnt, but you know, it gives it some character and it gets just Randy Johnson out the door and <laughs> splatters on the wall. It's awesome. But any 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 sort of like marital propriety is completely disregarded by this trio 
mm-hmm. you know, just in general. Like, Mr. has just no feeling of loyalty whatsoever for Seely. Like, she's just, you know, the maid or whatever. Seely uh, doesn't care that Shook's there because she has no... I mean, her only emotions towards Mr. is that he's a dick and she's kind of afraid of him and and you know so she's not in love with him and then mm-hmm. suge seems to you know have favorable i don't want to say she loves albert but she you know mm, there's, a, there's, there's a, definitely some feelings there's a thing, there right? right they had a thing when yeah. they were younger you know that keeps kind of coming albert back up certainly makes her feel good What's that? Albert makes her feel good? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the she talks about their sex life is good, that, mm-hmm. you know, she's excited to see him. But I don't think... So, okay, one of the themes in the movie is fathers. And pretty much all of them, without exception, are pretty piss-poor fathers. Maybe Harpo might be the best of them. But uh, Shug's dad is a minister who doesn't like her or doesn't agree with her lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, and I, th- I wonder how much of her enjoying this attention from Mr. is just based on a lot of times just wanting that male attention and he gives it to her um, completely. You know, you're, saying, know. you're saying Shook has daddy issues. That's what you're... Yeah, she definitely has daddy issues, but Jeff, that's, I mean, that's really interesting because I looked at Shook's character as one, like, uh, like Eric said, she's regionally famous. So I'm like, I'm sure she got men's, right. you know, but what was it about Albert that she kept coming back to, I, you know, what, and I couldn't, I, I've never, I've never really thought about what the parallels between Albert and, and Shook's dad have been, you know, to, to try to see like, what was that familiarity with her that she kept coming back to to Albert. And I think that for Celie, she was just glad Suge was there so, so she didn't have to be, I forgot, what the, for, for whatever reason, I forget the term she used. Um, I think she, she referred to it as, he was he used it like a, a stool, a toilet or something like that mm-hmm. for his sexual pleasure. And she was like, you're here now, so I don't have to deal with it. You you seem to like it, you know? So y'all go do you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just cook this breakfast over here <laughs> or yep. whatever. So it was like almost a relief for, for Celie, for Suge to even be there. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but Suge and Albert, like maybe they grew up together. Like they could be like, because her dad is the preacher there in town, right? Mm-hmm. Which implies that right. she grew up there, uh, which implies that they knew each other. You know, they were they were two of those kids running around all the time, you know? And so their relationship could go like way, way back, like until this conversation right now, I'd always just considered that they had met when they were younger. Just hooked up. Yeah, just hooked mm-hmm. up. But they, like, they could have this really long-term thing that has no, that's a very good been point. going on since they were little kids. And so to Suge, since she can't come home to her dad, she keeps trying, but she can't. Maybe Albert represents home, you know, and safety yeah. and, uh, and he a very respite much loves from the road, you know? Yeah. The, his attitude towards Suge is one of love and admiration and he mm-hmm. cares for her and when they're in the bedroom he she has a good experience as opposed to when it's Seely, it's very much one-sided and i think that he, he does love shook um and mm-hmm. i think that's one of the things that maybe she doesn't get on the road like you said man she could probably get any man she wanted but are they going to actually love shook 
or is she just attractive and we we can have sex you know what i mean but Mm -hmm. yeah so uh we're gonna go this this is going long because this is a big movie there's a a a lot to talk about in this movie so so uh to go back, you don't have to edit it. I'm editing, so you just yeah. keep rolling. <laughs> this could this could easily be a three parter, yeah, like for, for sure. sure. <laughs> so let's let's shift back to Sophia. I think, um, because uh, Sophia and oh shit, I'm trying to remember the the order of what happens here. Like, so so I can t- I, at this point, I think when 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 Suge comes in the picture. Sophia has left Harpo. Sophia has left Harpo. Right. She goes off with she, her family. She's packed up the kids. Right. Yeah. She picks, she gets the kids and she, she goes off somewhere. She it, it insinuates that they, the, the fighting, the physical abuse that started after Celie and Mr. Gave that advice continues. And Sophia's just like, you know what? I ain't got to deal with this. Let me get my kids. I'm going to go to my mama house or mm-hmm. wherever she goes. Right. Right. So she leaves. Um, then, you know, simultaneously, all this stuff is going on with, with Suge. And then one of my other favorite scenes is at the juke joint. <laughs> all right, oh Harpo, Harpo and, and Lawrence Fishburne build the, the juke, bo- the juke joint. Build the juke joint. Cross Larry the river. Fishburne. Larry Fishburne. Sorry. He wasn't He's Lawrence Larry yet. Fishburne yeah, he was, at this point. He was Larry still. I was like, oh my gosh, because I didn't know he was in the movie. I'm like, that guy looks like Lawrence uh, Fishburne. And then he's credited at the end as Larry Fishburne. And I'm like, wow. It's just one of those things that took me by surprise. Because he has like two lines in the movie. But apparently he's not the household name he is now. But yeah, the whole... So they have this awesome like rundown shack. And this thing has no roof like holes everywhere it's raining all the water comes in and yet it looks like the best place in town yeah the music is pumping she's singing her like hard out it's awesome it's where the fun then, happens this is where the fun yeah, happens yeah. yeah and then and i have to and jeff is, is accustomed to me doing stuff like this eric so like you have to look at the time frame of when this movie was <laughs> was shot right so this is taking place in the 1900s so black people didn't have a lot of places to go for entertainment so it truly was up to the black community to if it wasn't church it was a juke joint or you know a house party of some sort so this little shack it literally was a shack was the place where all of the community black people came especially when Suge came back to town because again she was a regional star so you can see in the in the film that they're like literally a line down the dirt road to get into this this itty bitty little space right <laughs> to, to see this lady perform so it really is a telling of the times i love how over the film too the juke joint gets kind of built out a little bit like it still has holes in the roof and the rain's coming mm-hmm. through and so on but like they you know they they build this bridge and the bridge goes yep. up and like he builds like a drawbridge draw bridge. so people in <laughs> yeah. boats can get past and like it, it's kind of just keeps expanding in scope as the movie goes on. I think they're turning a profit. They don't have much overhead. Oh yeah, they literally, <laughs> literally, they're making money at the cheap joint for sure. Yeah, they're doing okay. Uh, but I love all the stuff there. And then Suge writes a song uh, for Miss Blues. Miss Seely's Blues, and it's one of the first kind things that you see mm-hmm. happens to Seely since Nettie has uh, gone missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this kind of starts there more. Um, intimate relationship agreed yeah um and their their intimate relationship in the book is definitely much more intimate and and Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so do they specifically say that they? No, this is a full on relationship in the book. Oh yeah, it goes on. Okay. Like they, yeah, they have they have a full on thing. Um, and I can't remember if Shug's thing with with Albert stops at that point or if they're just kind of run in parallel, like all together. Um, I'll have to. In the movie, it's all in the parallels. Yeah, <laughs> kind of gross when you think about it. But yeah, <laughs> all all that stuff's going on at the same time. Which is kind of I I don't know I was five when this movie came out so i'm not sure but it felt like progressive because i remember a time in the 90s where anytime there was an on-screen gay kiss it was like oh roseanne shared a kiss with a woman and it was this big deal and here we are in 85 um and they share a kiss in this movie and i was just wondering how that went in the 85 you know how people reacted to that sort of thing I, you know, I don't know because I didn't, I, I wasn't like hip to the zeitgeist around this movie when it first came out. Like I said, I rented it from the Seven Eleven, <laughs> so, so I don't know what the initial audience reaction to it was. I do know that Spielberg has since expressed regret for like soft peddling the relationship and kind of playing it down mm-hmm. a little bit, um, or a lot. Uh, I do know my personal reaction as a thirteen or fourteen year old watching this film was like my brain kind of melted there for a second because (laughs) like I, I, you know, it was well before, uh, there was a lot of representation, uh, in media of gay people and gay themes and Mm -hmm. so on. And so this could be the very first time that I experienced, you know, like that I saw anything like that in media or culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I that remember was my first time. I I loved this movie so much that I remember I like showed it to everybody I knew, you know, and and so I like took it over to my grandparents' house and watched it with them, and I Dang took it, it over, you know, I, I made my mom and dad watch it and so on. Uh, and I do remember like when that scene would start, I would always kind of like tense up a little bit because I didn't know how people were going to react to it, you know. Uh-huh. Were you worried about the how they were going to react to a homosexual relationship on screen or more anything sex related? Watch with your parents the homo- the homosexual part actually uh again because it was it was pretty uncommon you know especially in a mainstream yeah. film to have something like that you know happen and uh and as mild and tame as it seems now you know and it is it, like in today's light it's like it's like nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. nothing. Yeah. Uh, at the time, and, and there could have been other representations happening just kind of like outside of my sight. <laughs> like, could have been happening in like other movies that I just wasn't hip to. Uh, and, and, but for the most part, at that point in time, if there was going to be a gay person in the movie, they're going to be the comic relief. You know, it was it was like uh, what's his name in Mannequin, and uh, you know mm-hmm. there'd be like the gay best friend who was kind of flamboyant and telling jokes and so on. And so this was maybe the first time I ever saw like a serious portrayal of anything resembling any sort of you know uh, gay representation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, has Spielberg done another movie? I mean, like before this, what what other movie did he do that was as star studded and a fully black cast never nothing not yet right because i think, not until I think Amistad, all of that I think would be the next one i think all of that kind of plays into each other i think I, I agree with you eric i think he laments now by downplaying some of the scenes but like it was a different time in 85 right yeah. like and to have a, a movie done by such you know a well-known person like spielberg 
all black cast with with such you know kind of dramatic and tough scenes i think that was that would have been risky for his career you know to to do stuff like that too oh i think he was definitely pins and needling through this one mm-hmm. you know like i i read a thing and it was actually quincy jones who convinced him to make the movie because he was like i don't think i'm the guy to make this movie like i don't have this point of reference i you know this has not been my experience like i don't think that i'm this guy you know like and i guess the the opposing argument was well you have the emotional intelligence to pull it off you know and so and he did and he did yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, I definitely think, you know, if he had messed this up, it could have been real bad, you know, like for everybody, you know, he could have offended a bunch of people and, uh, you know, his career would have taken a hit and so on. So yeah, I think he was probably pretty nervous the entire time. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think he towed the line pretty fine. Like, hey, you got what you needed out of it. Like, I didn't need a full, like, unbuttoning of clothes. I think what's interesting is it's a it's a trick that's seen in a lot of movies. People start kissing, and the camera pans to something else. Now you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens here. It pans to these chimes, and you're like, oh, okay. It's um, the chimes. And, and at that point, Celie really, even in her own words, is like stalking. Uh, Shug just always in her presence always in her shadow because she's receiving kindness and love and we can't glaze over in this scene the conversation where she's they discuss how their sex with Albert is different right and to the point where I just lay there and take it and she's like well you're still a virgin then and I loved that idea of virginity that even though she's laid with a man that because it wasn't mutual and that she was not loved, she hadn't really experienced or necessarily um, consensual. And yeah. She right, never definitely. willingly. Totally. Yeah. She never and, willingly. And, and, and Shook's just like, Oh, you're still a virgin then. And I, I appreciated that about her character that saw that sort of purity in that way. I, something about that struck a chord with me that I really appreciated no, that's a great point, Jeff. And um, I don't think I ever really saw that scene in, in that light before. But but I do agree with you. I think, you know, in in that particular scene between um, Seeley and Shug, it, again, it was um, it was what kind of kicked off their their relationship and made them as close um, as they remained through through the end of the movie. But I think it also shed some more light on the personality of the character. Because again, like if you look at the evolution of Suge up to this point, a lot of things happen. <laughs> We've seen a lot of sides of this character. And that was just more of a, um, more of a, a pure side, I guess, like you said. Yeah. And, and yeah, Suge definitely becomes, I, I guess really the driving force of most of the movie. Like she drives so much of the plot forward mm-hmm. and is at pretty much every integral part of the film after the first 30 minutes of any sort of real development of yeah. uh you know things happening and moving that she's almost the main character that's it's, a even good point though, as far as like she helps steely yeah. grow up like she she's she's the character that made and encouraged steely to mature and to find herself without mm-hmm. suge 
there would i mean the color purple probably would not be jeff so like like it's one of those things if if like if indiana jones was in indiana jones would indiana jones still be indiana jones probably so but would the mm-hmm. color purple still be the same without suge avery and i i think that to your point she wasn't the main character so to speak but she was like the main character she's the thing she that things like centered around that came in and then just shook things up you know <laughs> and then mm-hmm. off for a while and then came back and things get shaken up again um so i forgot where we are well we but, oh, we were at yeah. the juke joint it's fine yeah yeah so so at this point sophia's left harpo and he's opened the juke joint with uh with with his friend and then the squeak comes into play too mm-hmm. so he started seeing this uh this young woman named squeak and she looks really familiar where do i know she's her from? uh ray don chong she's um tommy chong's daughter and she was in a number of movies in like the late 80s and early 90s okay i'll have to look at her imdb because she there's something in my brain oh you know her from stuff like she's she's in stuff right yeah for sure um i have to look at it too jeff i don't know what else she was in either so uh knowing me it was a comedy of some kind she's in like action movies and stuff too like she was, she was oh then that's oh she was in commando yeah, yeah, oh, she yeah, was in commando yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she's mm-hmm. she's yep. in stuff that's where i know her from she fires the rocket launcher that saves arnold they, okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sophia shows up at the juke joint with with uh, a new guy that she's dating and uh he's he's definitely a much more like happy-go-lucky you know like not you know nothing bothers this dude nothing bothers this nothing dude. nothing hey honey let's go to this gin joint where my long time booty call is he's like sure <laughs> he is so secure in his manhood he well, technically, like... she and harper was still like married yeah so harper was still married <laughs> again Legalities don't matter here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially, like Harpo starts. Uh, Sophia asks Harpo to dance, or he asks her, whatever. They start dancing, and she's kind of like, kind of sweet talking him a little bit. So he starts smiling and kind of just enjoying himself a little bit. And they're just having this kind of for old time's sake moment together. And Squeak catches that that's going on, and she confronts Sophia, which. Another another great scene in the movie. It's almost like the scene in a western when somebody, uh, you know, it's so messes good. with the wrong dude, and the piano player mm-hmm. closes the piano, and he everybody goes, clears out of go? the saloon. It, it's delivered so well. It's it was so funny. Laugh out loud moments. As yep. soon as someone hits Sophia, it's like he already is familiar with Sophia. He's like, oh. Time to go. Time to go. <laughs> He's gone. Everybody He's knows. So Everybody knows what's coming, and they have that great close-up of her fist closing off to the side, and you just know it's about to go down. And uh, so there's a there's a big a big bar fight, you know, in the juke joint. But what it establishes is that if you hit Sophia, she is hitting back. She she yeah, you she's know not going to take it. Her longtime character is that she does not take shit, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that leads into the scene that comes soon after that, where she's uh, confronted by the mayor's wife, who is just being too. She sucks, man. Oh my shitty. gosh! Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I hate her, and I get that. Like, let's just, let's just take the- a second and talk about the white people in the movie, because the white people in the movie. 
are consistently just the worst. Like the absolute worst. Again, you have to the times, the early 1900s. No, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to complain because All right. So, we're looking at this movie is through the perspective of black people at the time. And I didn't live in the moment, but I'm guessing that generally speaking their interactions with white folks probably not pretty positive. Right. And so I think even at that time the people who probably weren't hateful and racist were probably too scared to do anything anyway. And so the only people you see and that um, are, are black lead C are the ones who suck. And you know what I well, mean? Miss, so, Miss Millie sucks in a very insidious sort of way because Miss Millie, she almost sucks worse. She just, than her husband She does kind of suck like, worse because she, she wears this like coat of, Oh, well I'm, I'm very concerned about you people and, you know, look at these adorable children and, you know, I'm going to kiss them and get, you know, yeah. in somebody else's family's face where I don't belong. And, uh, and then of course, later on in the movie, she shows her true colors. You know, you get to see who she really is when, you know, she won't ride in the car, you know, uh, well, even the segment leading up to like, I'm going to take you to see your kids. On, on Christmas Day and you're like oh yay maybe she's not that bad maybe life for Sophia won't be so bad here because at least there's a no and then like as soon as any sort of roadblock comes in the way it's Sophia get in the car mm-hmm. you're driving me home and it ruins this like Sophia doesn't even get her jacket off on Christmas Day you know and that's the part where I'm like I'd almost rather you be totally bad like the bible says let your yay be yay your nay be nay i'd rather you just be totally nay don't come at me with this oh i care for the people of color and like i'm gonna help and then just as soon as anything happens you take it back and it's it to me it's worse like sophia's christmas in that scene is worse because of that situation Mm -hmm. it almost would have been better had she not gotten to gone to me in my opinion So, but it, and that this, was actually a sad scene too because like her kids walk up to her and they call her ma'am because they don't know who she yeah. is. That was just oh, the whole scene was and just then sad. She's like, I don't know who you are. Right. I don't know who I, don't I am. Know she's not her. Yeah, she. Uh, we're skipping because obviously. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I jumped to Christmas scene because it's so infuriating and why I hate this woman in this movie. <laughs> but then to like you know again early nineteen hundreds. The abolishment of, of slavery uh, in the country is still quite young. Recent past, you know, yeah. yeah. So the the people that they're dealing with are people who had slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these are people who grew up with slaves. They're not accustomed to, I mean, and still, but that's a whole nother story. Dealing with black people in a humane manner. So I think that is absolutely reflected in that scene when we see Miss Millie come into play and talk. About, oh, your kids are so clean. Like you know. I wish somebody would come up to me and tell me something like that about Jalen today. Like it would not end well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But nope. you know, you know what it, I would do? Close the piano and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I know Time better. Time to go. <laughs> Time to go. So, so yeah, again, it's just another sign of the times in this movie. Right. So Sophia tells Miss Millie to go to hell. Miss Millie's the, the, the mayor's wife. The mayor gets involved. The mayor makes the mistake of slapping Sophia, who then, you know, 
out comes the fist and and Lawrence Fishburne sees it from across the street Larry. and they like mm-hmm. everybody knows you know just like in the juke joint everybody knows you know you, you hit her you're about to catch it you're gonna get hit back yeah mm-hmm. and uh and so in the end it ends up with you know this scene of all these people gathering around Sophia and villainizing her and then the cop comes and pistol whips her and the next thing you know, she's in jail for for and an undetermined. Amount of course, of time. she's the only one in jail. Yeah, right. the The mayor doesn't go to jail uh, for assault, but and then I think that pistol whip does permanent damage mm-hmm. to her eye. Um, her eye. Her high eye is kind of lazy and it, it it sags and it it mars her face a bit that she's living with this the rest of her life. When she mm-hmm. looks in the mirror, she's always going to remember that day that she was disrespected and she stood up for herself and she paid for it. And this is one of those scenes that's like, so and I, it's gotta be even more. So for people of color watching this is that there was no right answer there, right? There's no, if I stop it, I don't do anything and I allow them to talk to me this way. There's almost like a, you know, there's a self-respect that they kind of have to bury and hide and say, I, I have to take this because the system is going to take me and put me in jail. Or I respond and the system takes me and puts me in jail. You know what I mean? Like, it's either I, I deny I would challenge myself. to say, what's the difference between happening then and right now? But again, conversation for a different time. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, but we I, have but never I, shied away from being political. No, not show. at all. Right, but, I, but I think it's the same. I mean, I, I literally yeah. think it's the same thing that happened then. It does happen, you know, mm-hmm. right here in 2022. But the 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 difference is, and I and I wonder about this now, Jeff and Eric. Like the the prison system was put in place. Um, as a means to like re-socialize people and to rehabilitate them of sorts mm-hmm. from their crime and get them back into society and be upstanding human beings. So when Sophia goes to jail, something absolutely happens to her. Um, and, and Eric, you probably can speak to this better from reading the book. I don't know what the book says about her going to jail and how it changes her. But we see Sophia again, being this very dominant woman, um, protecting her dignity, protecting her, her identity and going to jail because she protected herself mm. and she comes out a completely different person. Yeah. So what does that say about what, I mean, well, Eric, I guess my specific question is, do you remember what the book says about that? I do not. I don't. Uh, all I know is later in the movie, uh, another great moment in the movie, but when she, when she talks about her experience in jail and how she wants to go someplace and she can't, she wants to sing and they beat it out of her. Uh, you know, so it just implies that she was a victim of systemic violence in in while she was in jail. And even when she gets out of jail, she's still not out of jail. And, and right. like, I she has to work for Miss Millie anyway. Got to work for Miss Millie anyway. Yeah. So she basically is. And I don't know if it's like some sort of crazy deep south parole system going on there or like what the hell happens when she gets out of jail but she still has to just go work for this family and live with them but that's her situation however the Mm -hmm. legalities of it played out she is you know miss millie's slave practically i mean in all in all practical terms when she gets out of jail she just goes directly 
and it doesn't go home to her family. She goes to be Miss Millie's servant. Um, After a long time in jail, I didn't catch the years, but eight years. she goes, she goes in and comes out gray haired. Yeah. It was eight you years. Know. Yeah. And, and, and a completely different human being, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. beaten. all the spark of life is gone. Just, she shut down inside completely. Yeah. So, and then we, she was teaching her to drive. She's teaching this Miss Millie how to drive, who is horrible at driving, terrible. <laughs> like, and that's she's so confident. Well, I, I can take you to your family and drive. I'll drive home, and you can stay with your family for the day and spend Christmas All with day. them. Oh, it'll be great. <laughs> and she takes him and takes uh, uh, Sophia there. And it tries to drive off and starts destroying the property, essentially, because she doesn't know how to drive. All the men in the building come out and are like, no, stop. We're just trying to help. This flips her out now because now, like you said, Eric, her true colors show um, that she thinks she's about to be abused and beaten and basically what they did to Sophia. Um, And. That's when and she starts saying really racist things. Yeah, you you people and mm-hmm. um, I I always care for you and I'm like, do you? Yeah. So it it just accentuates the dehumanization of Sophia and how you know at the end she's completely at the beck and call of this woman. And there's a scene mm-hmm. later on where uh, they're going to the store and Miss Millie gives Sophia, she just rattles off like 90 things that she needs you know, and Sophia's supposed to remember and Celie happens to be there in the store and Sophia doesn't notice her at first. And Celie comes over and takes the list out of Sophia's hand and just like quietly does her shopping for her. And then, you know, like hands her the stuff. And uh, as Sophia's leaving in the car, Celie gives her this little like chin up, you know, sort of just just to let her know that that she had been seen and that somebody cares about her. Celie's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Which she's been through it though, right? You know, she's literally been through it. And... I just, her constant optimism, when she shouldn't have any, is the my favorite thing about the character. That she just always is, like, there, there's something here. There's something good to be found. And, it, it, like, and seeing her friend, and like you said, giving her that, and you find out later that this means the world to Sophia, uh, is so awesome. And it. We see the unkindness in this movie, but it also shows us the contrast on the power of kindness mm-hmm. and like that scene and the simpleness of just saying, hey, I see you um, and, and what that brings for Sophia mm-hmm. and giving her hope. So I awesome scene. Agreed. So at this point, I think Suge comes back. And she's got her husband, Grady. Oh, yeah, it's Grady. She, she this was the guy I thought we were talking about when I said that this guy is super confident. Oh, yeah, this guy, too. He he's like the other is, guy, like Sophia's guy uh, back in the juke joint. He's the best. He, like I say, this is, I thought we were talking about this guy before at the. Uh, uh, oh, at the juke joint? About. Yeah. And, but this guy, she's like, we're going to go see my longtime boo. Okay. We're going to stay in his house. Great. He just is like so confident in himself that he's like, I'm not worried about it. Let's go. And then he backs her later on in the movie completely and whatever she she wants. And 
yeah there's there's so many great things He's about great. the scene when when suge comes back because like some time has definitely gone by again we got another time jump you know and and at this point both Celie and albert are excited like like Albert wakes up and he's like Shug and Celie wakes up and she's like Shug mm-hmm. and they're both they're Shug. both like yeah <laughs> and uh, so they're both really happy that she's coming and at the, you start to see a little bit of evolution in their relationship like like he he is still awful uh, but you can tell that they've been together for like a long time now you know they're although he is dominant and she is not you know she is abused and so on they still have established this kind of they're like a well-oiled machine you know Mm -hmm. and and although they are not happily married they know each other at this point and there's this one little Mm -hmm. moment when they're both disappointed when they see grady and uh uh, Shug says, "How are you?" And and Celia's like, "We're fine. We got colds, though." And she kind of elbows <laughs> Albert, and they both start sniffing. <laughs> and it's just yeah. kind of this, like, okay, these people, like, they they are really. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It's it's not a healthy or appropriate partnership, but it's a partnership. And uh, so you know, Shug is there with her husband, and this is this is where things in the movie start to really shift, because while Mr. is getting drunk with Grady and they're having their wildly oh, inappropriate they are just best buds. They are having a great time. <laughs> they're having time. a great time bonding, best buds. bonding over sleeping with Shug. They're both just like, we slept with Shug. Yes, it's the best. <laughs> again, my man Grady is so secure in himself. He's like, yeah, isn't she great? Like, it's and Shug is just standing back sipping her tea like, listen to these fools. Yep. She's so... <laughs> But I, I'm wondering, like, if she's like, all right, when we get here, you need to get this man drunk, take his ass to the fields. Or, you know, what what happens? I, Grady and him get drunk and they take off. I think it just happens. I think the, I think, yeah. it's, I think it's, it's, it just happens. I think it's just happenstance. Suge is, is waiting for a delivery and she goes out to check the mail, which Celie has always been afraid to do because uh, he told her if he'd get her. He'd get her if she ever checked the mail. And, Should, shouldn't you wait on Mr.? Well, I'd be waiting all day if it was waiting on him, you know, and just goes to get the mail. Again, mm-hmm. showing the difference in that relationship. She's not scared of Danny Glover in any no. way. And so she, she there's a letter from Nettie in the, in the mail. And come to find out, there have been hundreds of letters Several. over the yeah. years. And so while uh, Mr. is out drunk in the fields with his new best friend, they rip the house apart and find this this cache of letters that uh, he, also, he's been hiding from her all these years. His nudie pics. His nudie pics. And, and Shook's like, and what? That doesn't look anything like me. What was the thing with Not the powder? that he had nudie like, pics. They're pulling, but just, <laughs> like, they're pulling stuff out. He's got money, and he's got the nudie pics, and then they pull out this box, and it's got, like, test tubes and powders in it. And I'm like, what? What is that? Like, why does, why does he have this box with these powders in it? Like, is he making bombs like is it drugs like what's <laughs> what's he what is this thing but anyhow they set that aside and there's this big pile of letters in there and uh so Shug's like let's go let's separate them out we'll put them in order by mm-hmm. the postmark and you can start reading them and then uh this the sequence starts and it's one of the most extraordinary sequences in the film and it's where Celie is catching up on all these years of correspondence from her sister and you see her like walking around town 
not even really there because she's reading these mm-hmm. letters and all of this stuff is happening in the background. And some of these scenes are like big stage scenes. Like I love the one where yeah, she's along the river. Say, Eric, you know, the somatic uh, like things that were done in these scenes when she's reading these letters to, you know, take us to the scenes in Africa and, and, you know, going back to like, you know, seeing Celie where she is and just going back, you know, and be the, the illustration that was presented to us from these letters i just thought like looking back on i'm like this is pretty phenomenal this is really cool and i I mean and again watching it as as many times as i have and starting watching it as young as i was there was something i just really couldn't appreciate at the time same i always thought when i was younger i i kind of thought that this uh segment was a little confusing i think and and like it just felt kind of choppy to me i think Mm -hmm. and and watching it now as an adult i'm like man this is like some just concise storytelling like so much stuff is packed into these scenes and it's only maybe a five minute segment where it's kind of like going back and forth between Nettie's experiences mm-hmm. in Africa and what Celie is doing as she's learning of them she's reading while she's in church and she's she's Mm -hmm. at this uh while they're building the railroad she's walking past the guys building the railroad and like all this stuff is going on and she's just not even there for it like she's just you know like totally engulfed yeah totally engulfed until of course here comes here comes mr exactly (laughs) smacks her because he's calling for her and she's you know entranced by reading these letters and uh that you know it's the most rude awakening one could have from something like that Mm-hmm. And and that's a comes upon another pivotal scene there too, Eric. So like, <laughs> long movie, y'all. Um, but we get through her reading these letters, and we get to those scenes in Africa, and he smacks her, and he's like, "I've been yelling for you all evening. Come give me my shave." <laughs> and let me tell you something. He's a I brave even, man. Like, but but he doesn't even know what he's getting himself into at this point, right? Right. And I can say as a kid watching this particular scene, I think this was the scene that I always cringed at. Because at the time, I too was a child and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on in this scene. So in this scene, we, we see um, Celie on the porch um, preparing to shave Mr. And um, it keeps going back and forth between that scene and a scene from Africa where we see um, what we learn to be Celie's uh, children, Olivia and Adam. And they're being inducted into this African tribe. And by doing so, they have to get like their cheeks slashed with, with a knife. And that's the part I was like, eek! Because, again, I was a child. And then here come all the other 30 kids that have been running around the whole movie. Um, and Suge is in, you know, some part of the wilderness, polishing her nails. And she's like, oh, well, Miss Ely, home, fixing the shave, mister. Pivotal scene. Because then Suge takes off she just knows. through the woods. She just because, knows. Because she knows. Yeah. She knows the letter. She knows what, what, what uh, Celie has read. Celie now knows all the things that Mr. has kept from her. And now Suge is like, oh, snap. She has a razor and his throat. Let me go try to save everybody. <laughs> and she just hauls tail through the, through the woods trying, trying to save her. That scene is so tense. And, and I'm, I'm actually kind of glad I hadn't seen the movie before because I didn't know whether or not Danny Glover's going to die here or not. <laughs> I just was like, ah! And it was so suspenseful of mm-hmm. the, the back and forth the cutting you're seeing the scene in africa you're seeing suge run through. the drums you're are going and yeah it's building the, and building the, uh, the rays are being sharpened and you're just like just so tense i definitely the most like anxiety inducing scene in the movie mm-hmm. yeah i agree 
But Suge saves everyone, as you said. Again. They're just in the nick of time because it was going down. But it, this is the point where Seely changes, right? She is done, like, at this point with Mr. Yeah, I feel because, like this is, this is definitely the point she finds herself. Yeah. In her well, confidence. and then she kind of is like, she's really doesn't think killing uh, Mr. is that bad of an idea. It comes up a lot. Um, this is only the first time he's had a blade at his throat, but not the last. Um, mm-hmm. And just like I said, I think the hiding of this information from Letty, of all the horrible things he's done, this is the one that she is the most angry and hurt by. Um, yeah. So refresh because it's her hope that there would have been this hope that would have made everything else mm-hmm. okay. In the order, the way the movie plays out, which comes first? Is it the church scene or is it the dinner scene? I can't remember. Oh, so much um, stuff happens so fast, like towards the I end of the movie. I want to say the dinner scene happens I think it was first. the dinner scene. The dinner scene happens first? The, 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 mm. God, dog it, Eric. I think so. No, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it's the dinner scene because that's the scene. Um, it's it's a, another Easter. Easter, Easter. Is, is really re- recurring in this movie, too. Yeah. Um, so it's Easter dinner, and that's when Celie announces that she's leaving with Suge. Right. And it is and, a scene. It is like the scene for the ages. Like, I mean, one of the all-time great movie scenes is this scene because so much stuff happens in this so scene. So much happens. Like, everybody's arc changes. Like, the direction their lives are going all change. Like, everybody in that room. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Because, like, if you go around the table outside of old mister who's just told to shut up, everybody else at that table comes away from that table in a different doesn't. situation, you know? Yeah, I mean, and then Sophia gets herself back in, in that mm-hmm. scene as well, right? And she's like, she's oh, the Sophia, she literally says, Sophia back. It, right? <laughs> What's that, Jeff? <laughs> she's the one who told the old man to shut yeah. it. Yeah, she, yeah, she yeah, did. She's she did. awesome. Like, and, and, and that that was, uh, I think, there too, Jeff, is when Celie grabbed the knife again. Yep. <laughs> that mister. Put it right to um, his throat. And, like, yep. she's... She's done with it. And, like, everybody's like, whoa, stop. Because they know she's kind of on board with killing this dude. Like, it's not. These are not idle threats that she's uh, pointing his way. Mm-hmm. She very much is hates this man at this mm-hmm. point. Oh, and she gives it to him. She she just absolutely gives it to him. And and it it's everything that she's been holding back, you know, her entire life. She she tells him you know exactly what she thinks of him exactly what she thinks of those kids that she was forced to raise um and that she's out she's like i am out i am done i don't care what you say and and in doing so prompts sophia you know to find herself again and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the best it's just the best like, it's, everybody finds it's, themselves then squeak is like i'm going too i'm gonna say right. like, <laughs> no way it's like squeak where you come from <laughs> don't invite you and, like i i think it's kind of interesting that sophia thrives on this drama almost like it's like this is what she likes like i know how to live in this situation where i don't think it's drama it, it's, it's, it's it's chaos yeah, right? it, 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 which is is a, a slight difference. She thrives on the chaos of things, all the balls in the air, and she has mm-hmm. to be the one to kind of catch them all, juggle them, and put them in place. Like Sophia is 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 the fixer. Maybe that's yeah. why I love her so much. Well, yeah, <laughs> she's, like she suddenly she's the sees that, comes and fixes. that 
it's all falling apart uh-huh. and all these people are leaving and it's going to be like she's going to be there to yeah, put it back yeah. together again you know and and right. she's like i'm here for it i got it i got it i got it. you guys are, you guys go <laughs> put me in coach I and got then it. she starts eating hand me the potatoes hand me the potatoes right, right. We're the like, her appetite comes back to <laughs> this is where my happy place is <laughs> but as she as she leaves Sealy turns like she she curses mister as she leaves and she says until you do right by me everything you even think about is going to fail and she hits him with it two or three times you know like let there be no mistake you are done until you fix what you've done to me now yeah like when he's going to hit her that last time where he mm-hmm. thinks he's going to go he, hit her. She throws her hands out at him. She throws cold, like yeah. this hand at him. Mm-hmm. Everything that is done unto me is done unto you. And you're like, oh, shit. Which and, to what Eric was talking about earlier, that's when, that's that's the point. Mr. started to age. And he yeah. started to just, everything about him literally started to crumble. Oh, quickly. Is everything started to fail. So the next time you see him, it's only a year later. And he's like trying to get up out of his... I don't know what it is, a tractor, cart, whatever the hell. Yeah, and he's like all old looking and the mailbox has got bullet holes in them and the shutter, <laughs> the shutter's falling off the house and the chickens and goats are everywhere and like his whole situation has just gone to shit. Like he he mm-hmm. uh, immediately falls apart and part of it is that he doesn't have Sealy there holding it together for him anymore. Uh, and he's been completely incapable. But another part of it that I always took, and it doesn't outright say this, was like, even if he was trying, even if he did pull it together and try to keep his farm going, it wouldn't work. You know, like, I've, I've always got the sense that, like she says, no matter what you try, it's going to fail mm-hmm. until you fix the situation. Uh, but in reality... He's not really trying. He's getting drunk at the juke joint and he's laying, sleeping on the floor with the chickens running around his head. And, you know, the house is falling apart and it's full of garbage and so on. And meanwhile, Seeley is off in the world and it's not shown in the movie, but clearly having some sort of success. You know, she's off, you know, making something of herself. The next time you see her, she's just like well dressed. She's put together. She's, you know, got her running her own shop yeah she got her own thing like a seamstress she comes back to town because it turns out lo and behold after all these years this person that raised her as her father wasn't really her father her father was lynched and uh her mother inherited the property from her father married this guy who you know who they thought was their father and wasn't really so it turns out that her children are not the product of incest they're still you know the product of rape but not incest and the house and all the property that she grew up on is legally hers like it's Uh hers and Nettie's and so she comes back to town and suddenly she's got a house she's got land she's got a shop she's got you know she's like set you know Mm-hmm. And she's been out touring the world with Suge. Like, she's clearly more worldly, more confident. And then there's Mr. over there on the farm with the chickens, you know. And uh, so it's another real turning of the tables. And Good thing is Pop shows up with really great advice. <laughs> 
old misters. His dad shows up and he's like, you know, what you need his you need woman. A woman. <laughs> and as soon as he says Bye, that, Pop. Danny Glover's like, you know what? I'm done with this. Get get the hell out of here. Like that's the point where he finally says, Dad, you don't actually know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> get out of here. But then we see, you know, like then we start to see the effects on how everybody's life has changed. You know, Harpo and Sophia are running the juke joint together. They're back together. And, uh, you know, uh, Celie has her shop that she's running. She's making folks pants and uh, and just amazing pants. <laughs> amazing. I like I want some of those pants. <laughs> when he puts the pants on, he's like, Celie, you're a magician. <laughs> um, So you're right. This is where the church scene happens, because maybe God is trying to tell you something. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So Suge is back in town. And it's a pretty day, and ever the Seely and her are walking through the field, and they're in a good mood, and they're talking about the nature of the world and God, and you know, having kind of this philosophical conversation. And Suge decides that she wants to sing, and so she goes down to the juke joint, who are always happy to see her, I think, and uh, she starts uh, singing uh, Miss Seely's Blues, I think. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, at the same time, it's clearly a Sunday morning. Right. The the church, which is just over the hill, they're having a service and they're hearing Suge's song come drifting into the church. And so they're the they're not having it. To be able you know? with no amplification. <laughs> yeah. Hear it over the choir. You know, <laughs> geographically the she scene doesn't sing. necessarily work out really well, but it's okay. you know so they start they start singing uh maybe God's trying to tell you something right so they're singing and Suge hears them and this is where her whole thing shifts because Suge grew up in the church and you know when she was young she was just like that young woman leading the choir and and she has made several attempts over her life that you see in the movie to reconcile with her dad and, and kind of come back into the fold in some way, or at least be recognized by him. And she stops her song and she starts singing the church song. And the next thing you know, she's leading this whole procession of people from the juke joint <laughs> into the church, to the church, into the church. And the young woman leading, about being a disciple for the Lord. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I I can't I can't do justice to this scene. It's just so good. Like describing it, you can't do justice to it. But like she, you know, no. It, it, and you're right, Eric. This is definitely a scene that you have to see. But one thing to note is that as she and, and you're right, it's not geographically correct because as they're leaving the juke joint, walking down to the church, down the dirt road, over the hills, um, and her voice overtakes the young lady that's leading the song inside the church to the point where the young lady just starts lip syncing. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just, Suge is, I mean, Suge is singing her heart out and they burst into the church right at the chorus. And I just got goosebumps just talking about it. They literally burst through the doors at the chorus. And as God is trying to tell you something, the whole church is on their feet and she comes face to face with her father. And that's, that is the moment of that scene. When Suge comes face to face with her song, with her father singing, God is trying to tell you something. And she's still singing her heart out. The choir is still singing. All of the parishioners are up on their feet singing. And she grabs her father. Like, 
it was one of those moments where you gonna hug me today, sir. Mm-hmm. And she grabs her father up and whispers in his ear, see daddy, sinners have souls too. And you see her father finally embrace her and hug her. And that was um, a moment because you see the choir c- can see what's happening and, and their faces change. The dynamic and the tone of, of the, the actors and actresses changed at that moment in that scene. Yeah. It, it, and she's, she's there. She's in all of her power. She is, you know, returning to the church where she'd been rejected so many times and she's proving that she belongs there and that she deserves to be there and and forcing this reconciliation i don't know i mean i don't even want to say she's forcing the reconciliation she's proving the need for the reconciliation with her father and uh it's such a great scene it like it it never fails to just make me cry terribly I do feel like this part of the movie, though, like it's, you know, we're getting towards the end, but some of it was kind of rushed. Like we've been talking for almost two hours about this entire movie, but we get to the last maybe 20 minutes and a lot happens in in the Mm -hmm. last few moments of the movie. And that was one of them. And we see like the reconciliations that start to happen um, with people and with individuals within themselves. And I think this is the parallel for sure between um, Suge's dad and Mr. Because they're both kind of in this in this place where they're repenting about the things that they've done and maybe not like externally repenting, but you can see that there's some, there's some regret, you know, there's some grief over the things and then, and, and the hurt that they've caused in other people's lives. Um, we see the church scene and then we cut to the next scene where, um, Celie and, and, and everybody just comes together on Celie's uh, property now. And you see Harpo's there and Sophia's there and you see the, it's a field of purple flowers um, where uh, Celie meets her her children for the first time and and uh, gets uh, to see Nettie again, and you see Mister off in the background like like a silhouette. He's just watching what's happening, and um, and I think that was a moment for him. Like you know all the all the the bad stuff that I've done. You know this is this is coming together, and for him to to have, to see that, I think that was the moment where he had to repent within himself about all the things that he did to Celie and to Nettie and to all those that were connected to him, really. Well, I feel now, it pretty much. I feel like he states, he had a big, a strong hand and he orchestrated, he orchestrated it, right? it. Yeah, like he he a moment of repentance. He overheard mm-hmm. God trying to tell him something. You know, like he's sitting there on the porch and he hears mm-hmm. that music kind of coming over him, and his life has just been a misery. And and so he. You know, he gets the letter in the mail from the immigration and he goes into the chicken coop and he gets his money out and he goes down to the immigration office and and he puts it together. And so in some ways he is redeemed and and you see you get some scenes in the meantime of him being a sad sack. Like he's outside of Sealy's shop, just kinda like, Hey, hey, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> hey. Harpo got Sophia <laughs> back, like what about me? You know <laughs> <laughs> And uh but you know, he does at the end of the movie end up alone, albeit with some modicum of redemption, you know. Right. Uh, what I like about his redemption arc specifically is that he doesn't look for anything from it, right? He goes and he he, he pays to get Nettie back to Seely. And he stands off in the distance, watches the reunion, and that's all he gets out of it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go. I, I need my. I need you back. Or it's not a plea to get uh, um, Sealy back. It's not. 
uh, hey, look, I'm a good guy now. You know, right. it's very much a. Uh, I'm going to do right by her for once. I'm going to do one thing that I can do. It's within my power to do. I'm going to do right by her. And it is selfless. Um, maybe you could argue that it's him trying to unload some of his own shame, but it, he had, is not trying to get anything in return from Seely. He's purely giving. And I mean, that's kind of like a, a thing for marriage. Maybe, you know, like maybe had you, actually been that two-way street the whole time you could have right. something really great but uh i i think that's the part of his redemption that works the most for me is that it is purely for someone else do you do mm-hmm. you think and this is i always write questions for the end that i always ask jeff and try to stump him on stuff but and this is the first one that i have Has it happened yet? do you think <laughs> that by the time we get to this point in the movie that mr deserves his redemption has he has he earned this redemption? You ready for this, LaKendra? Has you he earned this? his redemption? If I may. Hmm? I want to take us to church for a second. Listen, you don't earn redemption. Come on, D. You don't earn grace, right? You don't earn forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It is given to you freely. Come on, sir. And God was trying to tell him something. And he did. And he responded, and that grace is freely given to him. Come on, Deacon Jeff. On to the- <laughs> Eric, that's the answer. No, that is the answer. No, okay, so that, really is that the leads into my next question. Is God present in The Color Purple? Is God Absolutely. a living force in this movie? Yes. Do you want me to tell you why? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. Elaborate, please. I think... I will elaborate. God is a living force in this movie because, well, mm, I'm going to go there mm. in just a second. As a believers today, we believe that um, God gets us through situations seen and unseen. We believe that there are blessings and things that God has already orchestrated for our lives. And if we trust and believe in God, that we'll get there. Seely's letters always said, dear God, and Eric, to the point that you made about an hour ago, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only person that Seely was able to talk to. God has showed us and he's written to us in his word that he wants us to always take our cares to him. If we lay our cares on him, he will carry us through and our life is already orchestrated. He already knows how it's going to end if we trust in him. By Seely putting all of her cares on God, literally writing to God, telling him how she feels, telling him about all the things that are going on in her life. We see God listening to her and we see that God's bringing people in her life. We don't, we never know why God brings people in our lives. We never know why God puts us in certain situations. But as we saw in this film, uh, God brought Suge into her life. And Suge was the person that gave her the strength. Suge is the person that showed her things about herself and about some situations in her life that she would not have been able to see on her own. So God sent Suge, in in a sense, to reveal some things to her and carried uh, Celie through the end of the film to be able to be uh, reconnected with her children and with her sister. So I do sincerely believe that God is present throughout the color purple. And I've never preached that before, but now it's going to have to be a sermon somewhere. (laughs) No, let me know. I'll attend. I, I, I agree 100%. Uh, that, that's, I feel like the characters in this movie have moments of divine intervention and inspiration. I feel like when Seeley does lay that hand on Mr., I feel like that is God talking through her. I feel like when Sophia 
gets her life back and that is inspiration flowing into her um so yeah i i absolutely agree uh so i i can't put it as concisely or as well as you did but uh but yeah that's that's what i was that's 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 what i was trying to get at too was that i do feel like god is a living force in this movie and uh god guides the events and the characters actions Mm -hmm. yeah and like we already said uh it's god getting mr off his ass to go do something at the end uh that kind of brings everything full circle yep Mm -hmm. absolutely those are great questions eric what other questions you have (laughs) um we already talked as usual like nine tenths of them get eliminated because we already talked about this stuff (laughs) Uh, I guess the the last one that I w- want to get to is uh, do do you have a favorite moment? Like we've talked about, like how many moments there are in this movie, how many fantastic mm-hmm. scenes there are in the movie. If if you had to had to pick one favorite moment in the movie, what is it? That's not a fair question, but you have to answer. <laughs> I can go first if you go first, think Jeff. About it. It's the dinner scene. It's the scene where the whole movie Celie is very much in the background. You don't see a lot of fire out of Celie. She's just been beaten down, and that moment when she is telling off Mister, just stand and applaud. I love, like you said, the whole scene. Everybody's life changes in that moment. And when she holds a knife to his throat, I'm like, <laughs> yes. So that would be my pick. I think if I could, Eric, answer your question um, in two parts. I've, one favorite scene is is more sentimental. And that's one that we talked about in the grocery store where uh, Celie uh, did the shopping for Sophia. Um, and again, that's where I think their roles kind of took a turn. Um, so that that's definitely a, a favorite scene of mine. I think... Um, Another scene that I often go to when I talk about the color purple is in the juke joint when Squeak confronts Sophia um, when she's dancing with with Harpo. And, you know, again, Sophia just just knocks her down the well (laughs) or in a hole in the floor, whatever it was. (laughs) That's one of my that's one of the funniest scenes. And it's it's it it always comes to mind when, when I start talking about talking about the color purple. Cool. And you, sir? I think it's the first time Suge sings Miss Seeley's Blues. I think that that's probably my favorite moment because it's it's such validation uh, for Seeley. Suge still finds a way to kind of strut her stuff during it, you know, but, but uh, it gets the other people in the community to like see Seely maybe for the first mm-hmm. time, like immediately before that they're making fun of her. They're talking about her hat. Mm-hmm. They're giving her, you know, there's Albert's maid. He brought his mate, you know? <laughs> and, and yeah, she just gets that one little moment to stick her tongue out at those ladies that were making fun of her. And, uh, and not to mention the song is just great too. You know, it is an awesome, song. uh, it, it so that and then of course the church scene i just can't i can't get past the church scene uh it just it just i feel it in my soul the church scene you know like i can't yeah. uh i can't dismiss it oh i mean it's, it's a great move so i also saw uh i saw the color purple uh, on broadway Ooh. 
when Fantasia was uh, headlining as as Celia, and oh my god, it definitely still love the movie more. But it, it was it was I, I'm just the color purple nut. Like I had to see, and I have the 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 coffee table book um, and everything. Um, and the um, y'all probably know, or maybe you don't. They're doing a reboot of the color purple, which I don't know if I'm a fan of it. Um, I've seen the cast, and I'm like, mm, this this could be hit or miss. Fantasia is in it. Uh, and I think it's it, they're going to take another. And I think it's another, a musical version, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's going to be a musical type of take on the movie. So I'm, I, and Oprah has a lot to do with it. <laughs> so, I'm, and I, I, I'm trusting. I'm one to trust that Oprah will make sure that they do justice to the film. But if they mess this up, man, they're going to be hearing from me for sure. I don't, I don't, I don't be on Twitter and writing letters to, to my uh, political officials, but I might have to about this one. <laughs> it, it has yeah. to not just be good. Yeah. Like it's got to be great you know it's gotta be it's gotta be fun i don't know <laughs> david allen greer is reverend avery and i love david allen greer but not in, in this <laughs> like, i love a lot of people who are going to be in this movie but i'm like i don't know if i love P. you Henson to be in is, the color purple is suge i just don't see it i've seen her in a lot of comedies and and always able to prove me wrong um but yeah yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We will we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should come back for another conversation. I was say, we it, should all it see it. Out, I have no problem doing a follow up six hour podcast um, <laughs> about that. Are we done? Yeah, I think. I, are we I, done? I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think we did the color purple. What's that? I think we did it. We did it. I I I actually really don't mind a nice long podcast. My favorite movie podcast I listen to is like two hour episodes, so I got no problem with it. Um, but LaKendra, before we get out of here, uh, do you have anything you want to plug, pitch, tell people about? Oh my gosh, plug or pitch. Um, yes. Yeah, so I have not been doing a great job with my own podcast. I just want to talk, but, um, I am going to start a new season of that because after talking with Jeff and we had our, our, our coffee date, um, I was like, you know what? I need to do better. So I'm going to, to start that. And that is available on all uh, platforms. I just want to talk. And um, you know what? I, I want to plug my um, my event management business, Integrity Orchid Consulting. You can find uh, me there on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And if you need anybody to coordinate or manage an event or a memorable moment, let me know. What sort of what sort of events do you manage? What do you need me to manage, Eric? <laughs> That's the answer. I mean, so I've I've done a lot of social events. I've done a lot of corporate and conference events. So I'm I'm not opposed. <laughs> cool. Nothing. I got nothing. I just sit around the house. I I don't go anywhere. <laughs> you don't. Well, know I, I can manage that too. <laughs> that actually. That's probably what I need. <laughs> I need someone to manage <laughs> just being alive, please. <laughs> Um, well, uh, one last question that I've asked all of our guests, which has only been one other person. Have you ever seen the movie Hook? Hook? Yeah. Like the, the Peter Pan movie Hook? The Peter Pan movie Hook with Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts. No. Good for you. No? Okay. Fair Don't. enough. What do you mean good for you? <laughs> our rivalry is over Hook. I particularly enjoy the film Eric thinks it's the worst thing that Spielberg's ever created until he watched 1941. But I just wanted to see if I could have someone on my side. Because so far, when I asked Joseph last week, he was not on my side. But he's Eric's uh, longtime friend, I thought, you know. Nobody's on your side, Jeff. Nobody's on your side. Nobody's on my side. You're, but Jeff but, also made me watch Dumb and Dumber, so. 
Oh, Dumb and Dumber didn't bother you as much. As oh basketball no, it wasn't did. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, basketball. basketball. That's what it was. That, One of my oh favorite. my god, today. <laughs> Well, uh, if you want to get at us on the podcast, uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at uh, Spielberg Chrono. That link's going to be in the description. You can find me on podcast, a podcast by Jeff, Eric's Eric underscore Hotter. You can check out the movie Draft House, where my friend Mark and I review movies, and then Budget Arcade, where we review free-to-play and independent video games. Uh, any? Oh, we should say what we're watching next. What are we watching next? Uh, Empire of the Sun. Ooh, I've only seen this one time, and I was like much younger. It's another one that I got out of the library when I was a kid, and uh, I remember enjoying it. But it was not. Uh, I'm gonna watch this a hundred times, like the color purple. So, um, I think Malkov is Malkovich in it. Is it Malkovich? Malkovich, Christian Bale. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Christian Bale is a tiny baby. Like he's baby Bale. He's like Ben Stiller. <laughs> How old is Ben Stiller? In this he's got to be like twelve too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I've never seen it. Looking forward to that. Music by John Williams, as was the music in this. No, 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 no. This was Quincy Jones. This was Quincy Jones. Oh, Quincy Jones. Wrong. I just assume that John Williams does all the music. Yeah, there's only like three or four of them that he didn't do, but this was one of them. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm wrong, which is not uncommon. Anything that you'd like to leave us with, LaKendra, or... Nah, this was fun. I appreciate you all inviting me over to to talk about my favorite movie. Um, I've never talked about it as in-depth as I have today. (laughs) I don't think any of us have. (laughs) Well, we will see you in two weeks' time as we review Empire of the Sun. Have a great day. Bye, y'all. Bye.